It's about two o'clock in the afternoon. We're in the mountains of Southern Colorado. I'm sitting here with Travis Reed. He's an outfitter, Western Sky Outfitters and Elk Quest. And we're going to talk about elk hunting. Welcome back to Ballistic Chronicles. I'm your host, Gary Lewis. This is going to be a good one. We're on the tail end of a hunt where we went three for three on trophy bulls. We heard bugling each morning and each evening, but it was early in the breeding season and most of the bulls were locating, but that's not to say they weren't fighting. We found an antler that had broken off at the pedicle. That meant that two bulls had bashed their heads together hard enough that one antler broke off one of them and and what do you know, we found that bull and one of our hunters shot it. And uh, it's going to be a nice trophy now that he can match up the broken side with the side that was still on. So anyway, Travis Reed, Western Sky Outfitters and Elk Quest. He's 40 years old. He grew up in New York and he came out west when he was 20 years old and he decided he was going to stay. My name is Travis Reed. I was born in northern New York near the Adirondack Mountains. What brought you out here? Oh, I moved out here for college right after high school and got used to the weather and the different lifestyle and there was no going back. Right. And so then you studied wildlife biology. Yeah. Yeah. I got a degree in wildlife management from Colorado State. Mm -hmm. And I always thought I wanted to be a game warden. And I'm glad that didn't happen. I'm glad I'm in the industry I'm in now. Yeah, we're glad too. I, yeah. <laughs> I started guiding and there was no turning back. It just kept going. This industry needs people like you. Yeah. You've been guiding, outfitting for 20 years? Yeah. Right after college, I started guiding. I uh, worked in Northwest Colorado and ended up working in New Zealand for six years. Kind of went all over the world. Got my guide license in Alaska. New Zealand is good training ground. Yeah. That's the other half of the year. So I was yeah. guiding almost year round for right. quite a while there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, 10 years ago, we started our wilderness outfitting business here in Southwest Colorado. Mm -hmm. uh, that's our own our own deal. So a lot of horseback. Yeah, we keep 50 horses, and we got about a 500 square square mile area up on the public land we can hunt on. Um, what do you look for in a horse? Oh, size, bone, you know, yeah. and common doesn't buck. We have a rule: if it bucks once, we send it off. So yeah, <laughs> that's I really like the main that. thing. <laughs> I rode a horse uh, one time, 18 miles out of the wilderness, it bucked the whole way. Yeah, yeah. yeah we don't even put up with it. If, it ha if I ever see it happen once and it really bucks, it's not a part of the string anymore. Uh -huh. And that's like the that. key. It costs you a little extra money if you do that, but <laughs> yeah. But it's not worth the risk, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And then, uh, why elk? Why do you focus on elk hunting? I just love the West. Um, yeah. I've, you know, I've guided in Alaska since 2009 and that's fun too. It's wild, but I, I just like the Rocky mountains yeah. in the West. I like elk. I like mule deer even more to be honest. So, right. Yeah. I'm uh, a mule deer hunter. That's one of my main things. Yeah. So, um, what, what, what's kind of the threats that you see to your industry? Oh, it's coming from all directions to be honest. <laughs> the main ones that I'll kind of pertain to what we're doing here is uh, our wild hunting's not getting any better. Um, they've changed the management so much in the state, and they're putting out so many tags that consistently is getting a little bit tougher each year. And then just this last year here in Colorado, they voted uh, wolf reintroduction. Yeah, I was and watching so, that. Yeah, it yep. barely squeaked by, but it's happening. Uh -huh. And 
you know what happens when that happens. Yeah, and when you have wolf reintroduction or introduction, however you want to say it, the, it changes the whole balance of things because for a long time you can't hunt those wolves. Mm-hmm. And so you don't get to condition the wolf to live in in its in its role yeah in in a yeah and it, and it, i could see how it made sense in yellowstone but here we don't have a yellowstone to start them in right so they're going to be started right in where we're hunting right yeah. in our backyards mm-hmm. and and it's going to change things quick it sounds like it's going to be aggressive yeah yeah they're talking putting in quite a few across the western slope in different packs and mm-hmm. instead of just one spot and you know it's it's going to change things quick, and in my opinion, it's not even fair to the wolf to do it that to it. You know? I've always thought that that is not fair to the wolf to put them into this place they haven't adapted. To. Yeah, and you know they're not in a protected area to begin with. That's a national park. They're just mm-hmm. out there on the forest. They'll get hit by cars and and everything else. Come you know? into conflicts with livestock. Yeah. Yep. But it is going to change our 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 forest permit and our, our wilderness hunting mm-hmm. quite a lot. So that led us to start on this elk quest journey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I've been acquainted with the concept here. Do you have anything to say about that elk quest and and the No, it's it's great. Uh Barry Institute. Barry's really knows everything about that and he's, you know, as sharp of a guy as I've ever met, even the way he runs the elk herd and everything and He's been involved in it since the 90s, and in college I knew about it, and I even applied for a job with him. Yeah, with CWD, Mm -hmm. and you know that's built the herd up that he has that we we kind of the resistance of those animals. Yep, and he's built the largest herd of resistant animals, Mm -hmm. resistant Um, to chronic waste. And we're we're kind of buying into that, and we've moved an elk farm onto our place, and we're doing these hunts as well. You know, just as I think this is really progressive way of thinking and. You know, ultimately, it could save yeah elk. Yeah, this, those elk could be real Indeed. important to the overall, you know, herd mm-hmm. um, at some point. And in the meantime, it, we're over here enjoy, having fun and keeping my guides busy and all the off time throughout the season. So sure, they're not goofing off at my house. <laughs> an elk herd has surplus. And yeah. as you breed for chronic wasting disease, you can also breed for big antlers and body size and and you end up... Um, with a surplus of animals that a person can hunt. Yeah, yeah. No, and and Barry's done a real good job of breeding for the big typical bulls. So that's that's a big part of this. Um, One of the things I know you like is calling elk. Mm-hmm. I left my calls at home when I came out here because this is your show and not yeah um, mine. You know, and so, but I I want to get some of your ideas on calling elk as you've as you've hunted around Colorado and maybe around the West yeah, and maybe informed even by what you saw in New Zealand. Oh yeah, for sure. I'd say all that advice is very regional from spot to spot. You know, um, if you're in Arizona, what you're going to do is probably going to be different than what you're going to do in the high country of Colorado. Um, in New Zealand, the cow call worked really well because a lot of the elk we were hunting couldn't find cows. So (laughs) (laughs) they were real easy to call in over there. (laughs) Um, but here in Southwest Colorado, our elk are pretty responsive to calls. Um, and I like to, I use the bugle to locate them and the cow call. Usually, you know, you get in as close as you can, get set up in a position where you know you can call an elk. And a lot of times, 
you know, if you leave too much open ground before between you, you're, you're going to hurt yourself. Or if it's too thick, you'll never get a shot. So the setup of the calling situation is as important as how you're calling it. Um, and then there's a lot to do with reading the mood of the bull. The body language. Yeah. I like to be able to see them if I'm calling them, you know, whether they're 200 yards away and you're set up and then you can kind of yeah. adjust to them. But, uh, but no, the setup is a real important part. And so we typically try to set up in a triangle mm -hmm. with the, maybe two callers out front and a shooter mm -hmm. behind. Yeah. I liked having two clients on archery hunt just because. That way you double your chances of which way he's going to come, mm -hmm. you know. And I kind of said that backwards because we like to have the shooter out front with the callers behind him. Mm -hmm. But but sometimes they'll come in from yeah, behind and above you too. Happens a lot. You're all done and you're giving up. You just stand up and he blows <laughs> out behind you. <laughs> especially this time of year, it's early in September and they come in silent. Okay, so know. we've been hearing the, the elk doing a lot of the locate bugles where... They're just telling the other elk, you know, where they're at and mm -hmm. and claiming their little yep. patch of territory. So that's it's early September right now. What do you expect happens next? Oh yeah, they'll start grabbing cows, you know. And as it goes on, there'll be more and more bugling, but less and less chance of an easy calling them in, you know, mm -hmm. as they start to get their cows herded up. If I ever catch a bull with a big herd of cows, I always let them bed down first and then try to sneak in on them and call them off the cows after they're bedded. Because mm -hmm. if he's working all of his cows, then he doesn't have time to come grab another cow, yeah. if you know what I mean. There's so, a lot of patience that has to go into this game. Yeah. Most hunters that haven't hunted elk a lot are always thinking, what's the secret call I got to do to get them to come right. in? It has a whole lot more to do with the situation yeah. and setting that up and, you know, knowing, knowing oh, it's midday, I need to wait for him to bed instead of running there and chase him right. off. Because if you do that and he's got a herd of cows and you go on bugling, he doesn't, he doesn't have time to fight either. He's just going to hit the road. And so I heard some scream bugles yesterday, and that you'll probably hear more of that mm -hmm. coming up in the next Yeah, they get a lot more fired up. You know, They're just making noise right now. Yeah. And so then a person, when they're talking about bugles, there's, the chuckle gets added on to the end mm -hmm. and the chuckle can be um, a, what we call a love chuckle or a fight chuckle. Yeah. It's an excitement thing for them, I think, you know, and it could mean one or the other. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so I've heard, I've heard huge bulls that were satellite bulls though, that were trying to actually whisper mm -hmm. and they would do that chuckle sound, that real slow love chuckle to try to call me you know they're thinking mm -hmm. i'm a cow and try to call me across a little meadow yep. and i just hear this real uh, uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh. and the first time i heard that 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 elk was probably only 25 yards away from me oh, yeah. and and i could barely hear that sound that little chuckle sound that he was mm -hmm. making because he didn't want the herd bull to hear him. Oh yeah, yeah. Falling to <laughs> didn't this. want the trouble. Yeah. Right, didn't want the trouble. <laughs> yeah, no, they make all sorts of noises. Uh, it's pretty neat. Okay, so let's talk cow and calf sounds. I use the lost calf sort of call a lot, yes. and a lot of times when you blow out a herd of elk, I'll do that. Yeah. 
and that brings the cows back right and then the bull follows the cows back yeah so yeah i've and, always thought that that lost calf mm-hmm. sound was yep that's way more that sharp than people thought about yeah no there's a lot of times if you can't call the bull in sometimes you can call the cows in with that which brings and the, bull. the bull's gonna follow mm-hmm. so that's that's happened plenty of times yeah so um and that can be a whole bunch of really fast high pitch yeah kind of repetitive repetitive just yeah. a high pitched the first call. time i saw it happen i had just missed a shot at a bull mm-hmm. and i had gotten right in the middle of the herd and it's bow hunting and here comes a calf straight at me and it's just chirp 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 mm-hmm. chirp just just fill in the air with sounds it's looking for its mom and then here comes its mom circling around behind me yeah looking for her calf and mm-hmm. and then then i realized you know this calf here is very important to that cow mm-hmm. and that cow is very important to a bull but that calf is also very important to a coyote mm-hmm. or a mountain lion and when it starts making those sounds everything in the woods is paying attention oh yeah yeah <laughs> for sure the um, other bugle that I think maybe I heard while we were sitting in the blind le- yesterday was the sound that they make when they're laying down and is, maybe it's four o'clock in the afternoon and mm-hmm. the breeze starts to blow, but they're still laying down and then they make a little locate bugle, but you can, it sounds a little different because of the pressure. On yeah. The fire yeah. You can tell right they're now. just laying down and they're not, they're just kind of a blah sort yeah. of bugle. It's not. Right. A- <laughs> and that's the sound. It's like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, w- as we get further into the, this bugling season, then what, what do you expect two to three weeks from now, four weeks from now? Yeah. Um, in the wild, they'll be bugling right into mid-October yeah. anymore. And right. what's already late this year, well, the guys in the mountains aren't hearing much. So uh, probably the first two weeks of October will be the most bugling i would guess going on up on the forest and and you know then they're just they bugle when they move their cows they bugle when they're excited they'll even bugle you know into rifle seasons when they're herding up Mm -hmm. just more just making noise when they're moving their cows around or moving with a herd even Mm -hmm. even if even if they're not worried about the cows anymore Mm -hmm. um so i after halfway through the rut we start more just using the bugles to locate them and yeah. get in there and get as close as we can. Right. We try to cow call them, but it, it gets tough towards the end. I often try to use that hyper hot kind of sound, the, the whining cows. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, the estrus call and, and all that. It sometimes works, and lots of times I don't mm-hmm. I don't find it working. Yeah, about the same with me, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. One um, of the things that... I've seen happen is this herding bugle where finally that that bull you've been pecking on it with locates and maybe fight chuckles and it won't come in and you then you hear this herding bugle and he's taken all of his cows and he's yeah he's out of there yeah that happens a lot (laughs) but I think sometimes a guy can be patient and come back in um, maybe later in the day maybe the next day and do the same thing again Mm -hmm. and maybe that bull knows that he ran you off the day before same sounds and he's going to come in and run you off again yeah and then then maybe you've got a chance at him because you've thought oh yeah about 
the psychology of the moment. Yeah, no, for sure. But yeah, that all hinges on finding elk too. And that's, yeah, that, that's the other issue we always deal with on the forest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, locating them is the hard part. Yeah. But when they're bugling, at least they're telling you where they're at. So I'd say generally our archery hunters get on more elk. Doesn't mean they kill more elk, but at least they're easier to find that time of year. Right. You know? <laughs> okay. So what about when they're not, when they stop bugling, maybe they got wise or maybe something in the, the pressure or the temperature has affected them and they're not calling. Uh, you know they're there, what do you do? Yeah, you just gotta know the spots they're using, you know, and that has to do with their stomachs. They go where the food is, uh, follow, they follow their food source and the temperatures, they're really temperature sensitive. So <laughs> uh, this is a dry year. From what I've noticed, they don't, on a year like this, they don't wanna be above timberline in the high country because the feed's too dry. So they'll be just below and those pockets that have little springs with the tall green grass. On a wet year, you might see a herd of 40 elk above timberline, you know, opening week of archery, but not so much this year. Um, and we even noticed that down here on the private ranches we lease that um, they'll hit an alfalfa field one night because the irrigation water hit it that night. Ah, and yeah. that's because the feed softens up yeah. and they'd rather eat on that field than that field. So. <laughs> uh, it, and you know, once we get snow uh, and it snows in on the dark timber sides, they'll start moving off the feed that's in the timber and hitting the south facing slopes right. where you can actually see them. Yeah, that's... And they love, they love that first light and the last yeah. light because they want to warm up in the morning and they want to catch the last bit of light in the evening. So that's like our... one of those things you can bank on. Yeah. It's cold and you watch those south facing slopes. Yeah. People are always worried about snow on their hunt and it just helps, helps yeah. you. And as soon as those south slopes melt off, like third or fourth rifle season here, those herds elk start hitting that because mm -hmm. it's colder and they need more food too. Yeah. So um, definitely, you know, have a lot better chance of locating them. Then the the hard in between times are earlier rifle seasons. Um, it's nice to be the first hunter out there with a rifle, but sometimes those bigger bulls can be holding up. You know, and they're they're not needing to get out and feed yet because it's not cold and the rut's kind of over. So yeah. Um, there's a there's a period there that they get a little scarce and then they show back up at the right. end of the yeah. rifle so um eventually the the big bulls that have been doing the breeding go into seclusion mm -hmm. and if you still have a rifle season going on at that period of time how do you find those bulls uh you'll catch them later on like i said but more on their food source and they usually yeah. be one or two together of the bigger bulls uh -huh. you know and in our country down here, we're far enough south that they don't, for the most part, come out of the public land. They stay up on the national forest or in the wilderness because we melt off enough on the south slopes that they stay up there. And I'd say our quality is a little better than some areas because of that. They don't have to migrate out and out into the sagebrush. And some of those places in northwest Colorado have big ranching for wildlife ranches that they have to get across to get to their winning, wintering grounds. And, mm -hmm. They hit all the big bulls pretty hard up there. Yeah, I've heard about that. So, yeah, yeah we have quality and is is real good here. Quantity is a little bit lower. They're just spread a little more thin, I guess, because we have so much wilderness. Mm -hmm. But definitely chance of nice quality elk down here. Yeah. And I think across the West, the weather has definitely been changing. Yeah. Well, we're in a four or five year stretch of pretty bad drought. And yeah we are too and we've Oregon. seen our main camp in the forest that was hunted since the 1960s by the guy i got the business from uh the water dried up 
this year. No. Never since 1960 that happened. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> mm -hmm. we had to move it. It's just gone. It takes a lot of water, a lot of rain and snow to... Yeah, replenish the groundwater. Back you know. from that. Yeah, more, way more than I used to think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, a person who is looking to plan an elk hunt for next year, what, what should they be thinking about? Get a hold of us or any outfitter soon because I think everybody's kind of gone crazy with bookings yeah. recently with the way the world's been. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's great being out in the woods instead of back in town. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. No, we, we're half booked for next year already, but the Elk Quest hunts, we can always do those, you know. And, and that's a good balance to, to the yeah. forest stuff as far as us, us staying busy and being able to book clients. <laughs> so, but yeah, for our wilderness hunts, you can contact us, I tell them. <laughs> okay. All right. And then maybe the last point, um, wrap this up. You've got a guy and a rifle and you know there's an elk in the thicket. You know that elk's going to step out. What do you tell that guy about how to put the bullet, how to place the shot? I have two ways of doing that, and it depends on where I'm at. But <laughs> here on these hunts, I like to shoot them behind the shoulder, you know, broadside, because we, we're trying to save as much meat as possible. But on the forest where we hunt, and it's fairly thick, I tell them to go straight up the leg and center a mass. <laughs> break some bone. Yeah, and that way we don't have to chase them. Hey, guys, if you like what we're doing here on Ballistic Chronicles, you can support the show and get in-depth hunting content you won't get anywhere else. Just go to GaryLewisOutdoors.Supercast.Tech or click through in the show notes. Our coffees are Frontier Roast and Fishing Central Oregon Reserve Roast. Our coffees are the right choice for great outdoor moments. Get yours today at GaryLewisOutdoors.com. Our latest book is Bob Nosler, Born Ballistic, the hardcover from Gary Lewis Outdoors. This book tells the story of Bob Nosler with an insight into growing up in the 50s and 60s. Every boy needs a mentor and every boy needs a hero. Heck, even when we're all grown up, we need heroes. And Bob Nosler grew up walking the trails with John Nosler, the founder and inventor of the partition bullet. His father was a self-taught bullet designer and machinist. And Bob took that same focus, turned it on the business and this now is the story of the life and adventures of Bob Nosler. Get Bob Nosler Born Ballistic at GaryLewisOutdoors.com and Nosler.com, Amazon.com. <laughs>